This podcast is brought to you by Langley & Benack, a full-service South and Central Texas law firm that delivers the highest quality legal advice coupled with exceptional client service. From our main office in San Antonio, we provide the resources of a national firm while maintaining close ties to the communities in which we practice. To learn more, please visit us at langleybenack.com. That's langleybenack.com or call us at 210-736-6600. Today's episode is part six of a seven-part series on will contest-focused fiduciary litigation. This series is hosted by attorneys Christopher Hodge and Job Jackson. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in the Langley and Benack podcast are for information purposes only and should not be considered legal or professional advice for any particular situation. The presentation of this informational content does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you would like to meet with one of our attorneys, please contact us through our website at www.langleybenack.com or call us at 210-736-6600. Welcome back to uh, Langley and Benack's seven-part podcast series on will contest-focused fiduciary litigation. I'm Chris Hodge. And I'm Job Jackson. And today we're going to be talking about the costs associated with uh, uh, these will contest type cases and um, engagement agreements and uh, fee structures with your clients or for the f- or, or for the clients what they need to be thinking about um, as they uh, w- when they start the process of thinking about a will contest. In in our previous episodes, we've covered. Um, in general, the probate process in Texas, uh, what is a valid will? Uh, what are some issues that come up frequently in our practice surrounding uh, the execution of a will or the formalities of a will? Um, and then we, we've delved into uh, will contests in general and considerations about uh, different type fact scenarios of where will contests might be appropriate um, and then what specific allegations, what claims you can make to try and set aside a will and then on the flip side we've talked a little bit about defenses uh, to a will contest and um, and then non-probate transfers which can be challenged as well so so today for this episode uh, we're going to talk about the costs associated with um, with these will contest type cases so job do you want to kind of get into the high level of, of what all is involved Sure. So, you know, back on episode four, we talked about, you know, the grounds for contesting a will. We talked about challenging a will back based on uh, lack of testamentary capacity, undue influence, fraud, you know, mistake, you know, lack of formalities, even insane delusions. And when we were discussing those topics and the elements of how you try and prevail on those claims, a recurring theme is you're going to need a lot of evidence to prevail on those. That evidence is going to be uh, testimony from uh, witnesses. You're going to need medical records. You're probably going to need a medical expert to interpret those records. And, and we talked about the substantial amount of evidence that you're using to, as Chris put in episode four, to really put together a, a, a picture of this person's life for the relevant time period. 
and a lot goes into that. And um, I'm sure as you were listening in episode four, you're thinking, you know, boy, it probably costs some money to actually get all this together. And, and it does. And that's what we're going to focus on today. So, you know, Chris, one of the things that we talked about is before you even bother getting a medical expert, you're going to need the records for the expert to review. And to do that in our practice, we use record subpoenas. Uh, what, what kind of cost do you see associated with using those subpoenas to get medical records? Well, so first, I think you got to know where to look, right? And and so we, we've talked a little bit about the fact that in these types of will contest cases, um, if you've alleged lack of testamentary capacity, any of the decedents, the decedent, the testator, the person that died, um, any of their, any documents related to their medical condition are, in fact, discoverable in that case. And so you've got to talk to people. If, if your client doesn't know who this person's doctors were, you, you have to figure that out. And so that may be you've got to send written discovery to the other side and figure out who the decedent's doctors were. Maybe you have to talk to a caregiver or two. But you, you have to figure out who the doctors are. And then once you find that out, you can send the doctors a subpoena asking for all of their medical records uh, re- related to the decedent. And so that typically... The, that subpoena process from start to finish, it, it probably takes 30 to 60 days to get uh, documents back. And obviously there are costs associated with getting those documents page by page costs and then the costs of serving the subpoena um, on, on the doctors. And so, um, and then on top of that, depending on, and we'll talk about different um, fee structures, attorney fee structures, then you have your, your attorney time and preparing those um, dealing with the doctors, getting the documents in, and digesting the documents. Because mm-hmm. it's one thing to get the documents, and it's another thing to actually have to review them and make sense of uh, the, the story you're seeing. Um, and, and just to in, include also in the subpoenas and records, you're often paying for copies of the records. Uh, sometimes places charge you, you know, 10 cents to a dollar a page. And when you start trying to get uh, sometimes upward to a decade's worth of medical records, uh, as you can imagine, it adds up pretty quickly. So you could be looking at a process just to get the records that uh, cost thousands of dollars in, in fees uh, to get the records and not even including uh, the time spent to review those records and make sense of them. Right. And, and you know, we, we've been talking about doctors, but uh, a lot of this goes to banks as well. Subpoenas that get sent to banks for, for banking records, for copies of account statements, uh, deposit slips, cancel checks to really figure out what was going on in this person's life. And, and, and banks don't give those records up cheaply. And so, um, you know, you, you need to make sure that those requests, they cover a sufficient enough time frame to cover um, what you need in your case, but you don't want them to be too overbroad to make them extremely expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so uh, along those lines, you know, once you have some of those documents, then what do you do with them? And so, I mean, how do you, how do you digest thousands of pages of financial records? Job, do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, time. <laughs> it, it, it takes time to review those documents and make sense of those. Um, in some instances, it may be even necessary to uh, retain the services of a forensic accountant to help you trace funds. Because if you're looking at a case where prior to the decedent's death, um, money was moved around in accounts and, and where, went where it should not have gone, 
you may need a forensic account to assist with tracing where that money went so you know who uh, to go after to recover that property. Um, but even without a forensic account, just it, it, it takes time to put these things together. Um, and, and I'll also add when you're getting records from banks, uh, in Texas they're protected by the finance code uh, with certain requirements where you may have to post a bond uh, for them to even begin preparing the records for you. And they may raise other objections where you will have to go to court uh, to prove that you are entitled to access those, those banking records. And so one of the and one of the most important reasons, I think, to be thinking in terms of what experts do I need in a case is for people to testify at trial about these things. And so if you have a tracing uh, that has to be performed over several accounts, money flowing back and forth or property flowing back and forth, and you hire a forensic accountant, uh, that person is going to be at trial. He's going to be your witness. He or she is going to be your witness at trial to tell the jury what happened to the money or to the property. Because in all likelihood, your your client isn't qualified or and the defendant isn't probably going to answer the questions the way you want. And so you want somebody who has looked at this, who you've dealt with, who's who you've talked to that understands the ins and outs of these accounts that can testify for you at trial about what happened to the money. And the, the same same goes for medical experts. And so, uh, you know, a medical expert can digest all of those medical records that, that you've gotten from the subpoenas and issue an opinion about uh, capacity and about susceptibility to undue influence. But the reality is, is that at trial, then you have that medical expert there that can testify, can rely on all of those medical records and tell the jury um, what they what they think the uh, testator or the um, decedent's mental capacity was at the time that they signed the will. Mm -hmm. And so with those experts, and, and we've been in cases where, you know, th there'll be an ex a couple experts on our side three or four experts on our side and the same on the other side. So there are a lot of costs that go involved that are involved with this. So in addition to attorney time, you have expert time. And most of these experts charge about the same amount that attorneys charge, which anywhere between 200 and $500 an hour. And so all that cost gets added in to, um, to these cases. And depending on the length of time that is the relevant time frame in the will contest, um, just depends on how much information you need, how long the discovery process should be, and how much time these experts are going to have to dig into this, which all increases the cost. Mm -hmm. And, you know, generally the more records you have, the longer the amount of time, the more the cost is going to be. It's not uncommon if you're looking over a couple year time span for medical and financial records to have, you know, over a thousand pages worth of medical records and well over a thousand uh, pages of financial records as well. So the, the, these pages, we're not talking about, you know, having someone review 50 pages of documents. This can get pretty expansive pretty quickly. Right, and so, you know, when, when you're thinking about that, and we've sort of backed into this part of that conversation, is when you, when you engage an attorney, or you as an attorney are thinking about, how do I want to structure my fee agreement in this case? you have to consider all of this. What are the expenses? What are actual hard out-of-pocket expenses that we are gonna have and who's gonna pay for that? Who's gonna pay for the expert? Typically these experts want a five or $10,000 retainer 
Who's going to pay for that? Is is the attorney going to pay for it and then get paid back later, or does the attorney pay for it and just absorb those costs? And so once, you know, when a client comes to you or when you as a client go visit with an attorney, you need to be thinking about the costs associated with, with the case. And, you know, so it, there's, there are different types of fee structures. So I would say in general, there's an hourly fee structure. There's, and then there's a contingency fee structure. And then there's a blended fee structure. And so, Job, can you talk a little bit about some of those? Sure. So I, I think when most people think of hiring an attorney, they have in mind the hourly fee structure. Um, and, and the hourly fee structure is exactly how it sounds. You're paying an attorney a certain amount of money per hour. Uh, for instance, you, know, you may have an attorney that says, I will charge you $250 per hour. So at the end of each month or each billing period, you'll receive a, a statement that says from the attorney, I performed X amount of hours uh, of work on your case with a description of the work performed. And then you're gonna get a bill, you know, multiplying that time by their hourly rate. Um, that, that's a, I, I, I would think is the, what most people have in mind when they think of paying an attorney. Um, now, a lot of what we've discussed uh, in today's episode and looking back at the work that needs to be performed in these will contests, you know, a common theme is a lot of this takes time. It takes time to review uh, records. It takes time to investigate witnesses. It takes time to interview witnesses. Uh, all of this takes time. So if you're on an hourly fee structure, uh, you know, the hours can add up pretty quickly. And at the end of the day, you can get a pretty big bill. And th this type of litigation uh, can get expensive quickly. I mean, no litigation is, is inexpensive, but this litigation, uh, given the scope of discovery, uh, can get very expensive very quickly, especially under an hourly fee arrangement. Right. And so the um the, we talked about the hourly fee. The other is the contingent fee. And the contingent fee is essentially where the client is assigning to you as the attorney a part of whatever they recover. If, if they aren't, if, if your side of the case isn't successful, then they don't get paid. And so, um, you know, the, the, these types of contingency fees, uh, I would say, range anywhere up to 40 or 50 percent depending on when um, when the when the contingency fee stops that is does it does it uh, encompass appeals after a trial of the case or not but just depending on the you know maybe if the estate is even is larger you know tens of millions of dollars maybe the contingency fee is a little bit less than if you have a smaller estate um, but in terms of you know a contingency fee uh, case, you need to decide as a practitioner, you know, do you have the time to take on something that you're not going to get paid for? And, and you know, at the end of it, uh, if you don't recover anything, you know, and then you've just eaten all that time, was that actually worth it? And In addition to time, too, contingency fee agreements can be structured to where, um, you know, they, they can be structured to where either the client is forwarding the expenses for experts or the attorney is forwarding those experts. So if you're a practitioner thinking about taking a case on a contingency fee, not only are you concerned about uh, going possibly years without uh, seeing a recovery on the case or potentially losing, seeing no recovery, but also advancing those kind of uh, expert fees 
for years with the risk of not recovering anything. Right. I think Job is alluding to the expert out of pocket fees, but there's also additional fees like copying expenses and, and things that, you know, the for imaging computers and things that come up that are out of pocket expenses that that you got to make a decision as an attorney or as the client about who's paying those up front. And if the attorney's paying them up front, then do they get reimbursed out of their recovery? And so these are all just factors that 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 go into the decision about how are we going to structure this fee agreement. Um, it's not uncharacteristic in these cases to have a blended fee, and that is um, have a lower hourly rate, so maybe half of that attorney's hourly rate, and then have a lower contingency fee so that the attorney's being paid something as they go, maybe half of what, what they would otherwise be paid, and then a lower contingency fee so that the attorney takes on part of the risk as well. So Chris, we, we've been discussing contingency fees, but let's kind of give an example of how that looks for a prospective client out there on uh, if you recover a will contest uh, in a will contest where you've been previously excluded under a will. So let's say that the um, recovery for your client is a million dollars and and the attorney has a, a third or 33 um, percent um, contingency fee. So the attorney would receive, um, you know, three hundred and thirty three thousand dollars um, out of the estate or, or out of the recovery of the client's portion of the, the estate um, as their fee. And that's what they would get paid. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, this would exceed what the uh, attorney's uh, actual time into the case would be. And other times it won't. And the attorney will have more time in, into the case than that. But um, contingency fees, they certainly, um, you know, they, they can be good for, for attorneys and, and good for clients because you don't have to pay anything going along. But, you know, everyone, um, you know, can lose on the back end of it, which is which is why in, in a contingency fee, everybody takes the risk. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and those fee, that fee structure exists to uh, provide access to legal representation where someone if the only option were an hourly fee agreement, they may walk in the door and say this is never going to work and not obtain the representation that they could otherwise obtain through a contingency fee arrangement. Yeah, and one of the one of the considerations that needs to be made when you're thinking about an hourly or contingency fee is, you know, where is this person inheriting from? And typically in estates, you don't have this issue. Um, but if you're talking about a trust, and we haven't talked a whole lot about trust today, but in, in trust, you can't assign your part of the trust to anyone. And so um, you can't, and through a contingency fee agreement, what you're doing is basically assigning your interest in the estate to the attorney. So you got to be careful in, in the trust context that um, you're not violating any of the clauses of the trust and in, in assigning a part of that to an attorney that, um, that, that later could be, actually their fee agreement could be set aside because you didn't have the authority to assign it under the terms of, of that document. So that's just something to think about um, w when you get into these cases. And, and you know, another aspect of all of this is, is attorney's fees in, in will contests. And, um, you know, it, we, they can be hundreds of thousands of dollars. And um, fortunately, our legislature has, has enacted a couple different statutes 
that allow contestants and proponents of wills. So somebody who's contesting the will is the contested and then somebody who's offering it is the proponent to recover their attorney's fees out of the estate. And so our, our Texas legislature has said that if you're offering a will for probate, irrespective of whether or not you win or lose the case, you have a right to recover your attorney's fees out of, um, out of the estate. You just have to get the jury to find again that, that you brought the case, you brought your claims in good faith and with just cause. And so, but those can all add up. And in a lot of, uh, a lot of will contests, depending on the size of the case, attorney's fees can drive the case, unfortunately. And so if you have an estate that is not that large and you have attorneys on both sides of the case that have offered wills for probate, um, racking up three to $400 an hour, that's essentially getting eaten into the estate. And so that's something that needs to be discussed with the clients at the outside, outset of the case that, yes, I'll, I'll take it on a contingency fee or I'll take it on, on this, but understand that the more we fight, the more the estate probably is going to be less and less at the end of the day, because in all likelihood, the jury is and the judge are going to award those fees at the end of the case. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about hourly fee, and uh, one of, uh, there's a couple other ways to structure a fee agreement. Um, the next and uh, one of the most popular, I would say, in in will contest cases is a, is a contingency fee. So, Joe, would you talk a little bit about? Sure. So, a, a contingency fee in and what really, you know, you think the name of a contingent is the attorney's fees are contingent on winning the case. So how that looks is uh, the attorney and client agree that uh, if the uh, attorney and client prevail in the will contest, the attorney will acquire a percentage of the recovery. And this includes the client assigning a percentage interest in the lawsuit to the attorney. Um, and uh, the driving principle behind a contingent fee agreement is that the, the client either cannot or does not want to pursue representation through an hourly fee agreement, um, largely because of the anticipated cost of the litigation. So uh, in order to expand the access to legal services for people, Texas allows these contingency fee agreements, which uh, allows a client to come and say, look, you know, I, I can't afford your hourly rate, but if you take it on contingent rate, you know, I, I'd love for you to represent me. And so, Chris, g give an example of kind of how that looks in the real world. Well, sure. So if you have, um, there, there's a lot of attorneys that, that have their contingency fee set at 40%. And so typically it's 40% of whatever is recovered. And so that's not just a, a win at trial. So that would be if there's a settlement down the line that it's 40% of whatever the client recovers, no matter of how it's recovered, whether through trial or through settlement. So let's say that the, the client recovers a million dollars, then the attorney who has that 40% contingency fee is gonna get a, a fee of $400,000. And so that, that is how a contingency fee uh, works. Um, I think it's, it's important to talk about uh, the, the fact that there's different, there's different fee structures, contingency fee structures that, that can be had. And depending on um, the size of the estate, the attorney, whoever it may be, might be more flexible in, in dealing with that contingency fee. I would say the, the, um, the less sizable the estate is, 
the higher the contingency fee is going to be just because of the fact that just because it's a small estate doesn't mean that there's not going to be a significant amount of attorney's fees that go into it. And so there, there's also a way for attorneys and uh, every attorney's different. And so um, it's just talking with your attorney or, um, it, or trying to expand uh, the type of services that, that, that you give to clients. And, and so maybe your contingency fee structure increases as the case goes on to where if, if you know, you send a demand letter and, um, and then a settlement is had with, you know, before that, maybe your contingency fee, or before you file suit, maybe, maybe your contingency fee is only 10%. You really hadn't done a whole lot of work. And then the contingency fee increases up to, over the course of the litigation, up to typically 30 days before trial, maybe it would be maxed out um, at, at whatever percentage you, you want to max it out. Um, there are some ethical opinions that talk about what is, what is an ethical contingency fee. And um, you, know, you sort of come back to about the 40%, I would say, is standard um, practice uh, in, in, in will contests. It's not uncommon also if appeals are tacked on at the end that uh, that an extra percentage uh, gets added on to that. And I think if you're either a practitioner or a client looking at a contingency fee arrangement, it's important for everyone to go into it with eyes wide open. If you're a client, um, you certainly benefit from a contingency fee arrangement in that uh, you're not advancing uh, hourly attorney costs as the litigation progresses. The risk of losing the litigation is Born by the attorney because you know if there's no recovery the attorney gets no fees and that's all beneficial to the client but uh, another thing for the client to consider is that you know there's the possibility that uh, the lawsuit concludes either through settlement or trial and uh, ultimately the attorney recovers more under the contingency fee agreement than they would have had they uh, been operating under an hourly fee arrangement. So that, that's something to, to just be consider, uh, consider, considerate of. <clears throat> uh, on the flip side, if you're the practitioner, uh, you have the, the same risk. Can you uh, afford a contingency fee agreement where you may not get paid on your case ever or even uh, a few years down the road where in the meantime, you're putting significant time and other investments into the lawsuit. Uh, is that something that, that you can live with uh, in the risk that you may recover nothing from the case? Yeah, and you know, the contingency fee, it can get old working on a case that you're, you're not getting paid on because it's on a contingency fee and you always have to factor in you know, the fact that you want to represent your client zealously and is the contingency fee going to cause you to maybe put that case aside and work on something else that you're going to get paid an, an hourly fee on. And, you know, along the, you know, worth discussing is, you know, in these types of cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars in attorney's fees can, can get racked up. And so it's, um, you know, you, you just have to be, be able to withstand that if you're, if you work at a, um, if you're an attorney that doesn't have a big firm behind you, can you withstand um, going to depositions and being out of the office all the time? Is that something that, that you can do? And then as we've talked about, the how are the expenses paid? Are you paying those out of your pocket or is the, the client paying them? Um, so these are all just things you, you have to think about on the, on the front end 
Um, and so that means you really have to investigate the case before you just sit down and sign it up on a contingency fee. And, and that goes for the, the client as well. It, it For both the attorney and client, before you sign a contingency fee, it helps for everyone to have a pretty decent idea of, of what you're actually fighting over, what uh, what's at the end of the line here. Um, because if you're a client, you, you want to know uh, is there a potential for this attorney to get a, a windfall when uh, through a contention fee when I could otherwise afford to pay it on hourly fee arrangement and make that determination? Now, Chris, we've talked about hourly uh, arrangements. We've talked about contingency fee arrangements and some of the, the pros and cons for both the practitioner and the client in that. Is there a middle ground? Well, sure. It's, it's a blend between the two called the blended fee, of course, and it is um, a reduced hourly rate and a reduced contingency fee rate to where you're paying some percentage of the attorney's hourly rate and then a lesser contingency fee, which operates um, um, in the same way both of those type of fee agreements would operate. Um, you're just paying a lesser amount as you go and a lesser contingency fee if there is a recovery. It's it's a good way to, to um, to pay the attorney as you go, but also have the attorney share in some of the exposure of potentially not recovering anything at the end of the case. Mm-hmm. And and then one of the um, one of the final ways is a flat fee, and um, and you know sometimes in in the right kind of case, um, you can request a flat fee as an attorney, and and so you just need to be cognizant of. You know, what's your hourly rate? How many hours do you think you'll put into this case? And if you offer for the client to pay you twenty-five or fifty thousand or a hundred thousand dollars flat fee, um, you need to make sure that covers your time if that's what you're comfortable doing. But that's of course an option in in these types of cases. I'll say a, a flat fee is an option, but they they're less and less common uh, as a fee structure. Okay, that concludes episode six, in which we talked about some expenses uh, and the costs associated with uh, will contests in these types of cases and different um, fee structures for engaging an attorney. And, um, you know, I I think that one of the points to take home from all of this is these will contests in these types of cases are a pretty niche area of the law. And so, it's really important for uh, for you to reach out if you're you're someone that's um, trying to investigate whether or not you want to do a will contest, and um, it's it's really important for you to find an attorney that knows what they're doing. And so there's good resources um, uh, to to do that. And and so the um, you know just just look out for somebody who has that fiduciary or probate um, contested probate pre- proceeding experience. Um, and so over the course of the past epi- uh, several episodes, we've really went, gone through the um, estate administration process and then delved into will contests. And, um, and then in our next episode, um, we, we're going to have a, a guest speaker talk uh, probably a little bit about the, uh, the probate process and the ap- appeals of um, probate court judgments, which are a little bit different than, uh, than appeals from other types of cases. Um, thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm Chris Hodge. And I'm Joe Jackson. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us today for the Langley and Benack podcast. Please subscribe to get the latest updates. 
If you would like to meet with one of our attorneys, please contact us through our website, www.langleybenack.com, or call us at 210-736-6600.